Welcome, friends, to another episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. Last time we tried to broadcast with a video, we ran into a bit of problem, uh, trouble, so we did not end up being able to air the video version, but we're going to try again. And this effort is going to be about Parashat Yitro. Now, Yitro is the name of Moshe's father-in-law, and this portion comprises Exodus or Shemot 18, 1 through 2023. Uh, as you know, this year we are focusing on the Haftarah, and it is, we're going to cover a little bit about the Torah portion first, and then we will get into the connection between the Haftarah and the Torah portion. So uh, let's go ahead and begin with a summary about each aliyah. A little bit different than we usually do. And we'll start. I'll, I also haven't been introducing myself. My name is Kevin Baksh. I am a uh, uh, non Jewish believer in Yeshua. I do believe in all of the uh, biblical festivals as festivals for all nations to understand better the God of Israel and his Messiah Yeshua. And I am observant in kosher and in all of the festivals and uh, the times and the seasons. I've been a believer in Yeshua about 36 years. And I've been involved in Judaism, Messianic Judaism, and Christian circles for about, uh, well, uh, for about the same time, but uh, predominantly Judah, Jewish congregations and Messianic Jewish congregations since about 1991. Uh, anyway, uh, I studied uh, Jewish, I was in the Jewish Studies program at Northwestern University in the 90s, and I do not have an advanced degree, um, but I just enjoy sharing and learning and hearing from you. So feel free to send us any questions, feedback, or um, points of interest at footstepsofthemessiah at gmail.com. And with that, we will get on with the show, or the lesson. So uh, this is the Yitro Elias summary. I uh, do look at a lot of sources from Sepharia, from Chabad, and from uh, uh, First Fruits of Zion. Uh, I've been part of their Torah club and part of their Hayas Sod program. Great programs. I highly recommend them. And uh, today we're going to go over the Aliyah summary for Yitro. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with our customary blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe. Who sanctifies us with his commandments and commands us regarding Torah study, engagement in Torah study. So a general overview for Yitro uh, is going to be that uh, Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, or also called Jethro in English, arrives at the Israelite encampment and tells them they should uh, set up a smoothly functioning legal system that Israelites experience the divine revelation at Mount Sinai and hear the ten words, the Asarat Dibrot, I believe it's called in Hebrew. Asarat Dibrot or Asarat Dibrot. So in the first Aliyah, we see Yitro uh, has heard about all the miracles that Hashem uh, brought about for Israel and then came from uh, Midian 
to the Israelite desert encampment, bringing Moshe's wife and two sons. So Moshe warmly greets his father-in-law and recounts to him all that God had done to the Egyptians. And Yitro thanked God for all the miracles and offered offer, uh, offered Thanksgiving offerings. Uh, try not to use word sacrifices. It's not the best word. Offering is a much more accurate word. Uh, the word usually is korban, which means to draw near. It draws the offerer nearer to God. And that's kof resh bet nun in Hebrew. So the second Aliyah, Yitro, Yitro observes Moses adjudicating all the disputes that arose among Israel. And Yitro suggests to Moshe that such a system... Um, that in, in a system that one placed such a great burden on Moshe's shoulders would eventually wear him down. So he advises Moshe to appoint a hierarchy of wise and righteous judges and to delegate responsibilities to other people that are proven uh, leadership material. So Moshe presides only over the most difficult cases. So basically he's like the Supreme Court. So then he would have, you know, uh, something like in the U.S. that we have is like, you know, regional courts or... I don't know the proper terms, but maybe circuit courts and courts of appeals and then lower and lower and lower courts to where you would get all the way down to like, you know, a municipal court in your area. Um, so this would also free up Moshe uh, to, so that he could teach Israel uh, the Torah that he hears from God. So the third Aliyah, uh, Moshe accepts his father-in-law's suggestion um, and set up a hierarchical hi hierarchical judicial system. Yitro returns to his native land, and that's pretty much all we see of him, I believe, ad infinitum. So, six weeks after leaving Mitzrayim, Egypt, Israel arrived in the Sinai Desert and encamped at Mount Sinai, Har Sinai. Moshe ascends the mountain in this fourth Aliyah, where God gives him a message to transmit to the people, and included in this message was God's de designation of the Israelites as a treasure out of all peoples and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the fifth Aliyah, Moshe conveys to the people uh, Hashem's words, and the people in turn accept upon themselves to do all that God commands of them. So God then instructs Moshe to have the Israelites prepare themselves, because in three days he'll reveal himself atop the mountain to the entire nation. On the morning of the third day, thunder, lightning, and a thick cloud, and piercing sound of shofar, emanates from the mountaintop and Mount Sinai was smoking and trembling while the sound of the shofar grew steadily louder. Moshe escorted the frightened nation to the mountain and settled them at its base. In the sixth Aliyah, uh, God descends upon the mountain, uh, summons Moshe to its summit. God instructs Moshe to warn the Israelites about the tragic end that awaits anyone who approaches the mountain itself. And only Moshe and Aharon were allowed on the mountain at that time. And then the ten words are given. In the seventh Aliyah, the Israelites were left traumatized by the overwhelming revelation, the awesome light and sound show. And they turned to Moshe and asked that from then on, he is the intermediary uh, between them and God. And now Moshe is a picture, as we see in Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. He's symbolic and a prophetic figure for Yeshua. And this is... Um, a prophecy of how Yeshua was going to become, be the word, become flesh, and transmit God's word to Israel first, and then also to the nations when he was born and raised to be the Messiah, and then eventually came into his Messiahship in the year 
30, common era to 33, and was then summarily uh, executed uh, un unlawfully, illegally, and then was resurrected from the dead. So uh, the reading concludes with a pro prohibition against creating idolatrous graven images, considering that no image was seen when God revealed himself on Sinai and the commitment to erect a sacrificial altar. Uh, the altar stones were specified not to be hewn with iron, iron implements. No iron can touch them because it's a material for warfare, and the altar is a place of peace between God and man. So, and no steps should be leading to the altar so that nobody's um, body parts or body, you know, uh, private parts can be seen. So they built a ramp, and that was the last instruction in the seventh Aliyah, uh, I believe. All right, so. Moving on, we will take a look at the Haftarah. So the Yitro Haftarah is from Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. It's very brief. And this week's Haftarah discusses Yeshayahu's vision of the heavenly chariot called the Merkava in Hebrew. A revelation that was experienced by all the Israelites when God spoke the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So already you see the connection between the readings. Uh, this event recounted in this week's Torah reading. Uh, Isaiah perceives God sitting on a throne surrounded by angels, and Isaiah vividly describes the angels and their behavior in anthropomorphic terms. So anthropomorphic, if you're not familiar with that term, I believe it just means that something is described anthropomorphic. Um, it, it describes something in concrete terms that is not concrete. So it gives human attributes to something that is not um, physically um, manifested in this world. Let's see, anthropomorphism is attribution of human traits, emotions, or attentions to non-human entities, considered to be an innate tendency of human psychology. Uh, let's see, personification is the related attribution of human form and characteristics to abstract concepts such as nations, emotions, and natural force forces such as seasons and weather. Like the angry storm would be personification. But in this case, anthropomorphic is giving something human attributes. Okay, so no vocabulary lessons. So during the course of this vision, Isaiah volunteers to be God's emissary to transmit his message to the Israelites, he is immediately given a depressing prophecy regarding the exile that the nation will suffer as punishment for their many sins, and the land of Israel will be left empty and desolate, though there will be a trunk of the Jewish people that will eventually grow. So since this is such a short Haftarah, in case you didn't get to read it this week, let me go ahead and read it. It's only 13 verses. Uh, okay. So, in the year of the death of King Uzziahu, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, and his lower extremity filled the temple. Seraphim stood above for him, six wings, six wings to each one. With two he would cover his face, and with two he would cover his feet, and with two he would fly. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this is probably something you're familiar with from the especially the Shachrit morning prayers, uh, the first word is, I don't 
people. I don't know if this is included, but it says Vekara Ze El Zeva Amar Kadosh 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 Adonai Tzvarot Melochol Haaretz Kilodo. Very famous passage happened. It's said every day, multiple times per day, in Jewish prayer services. And the doorpost quaked from the voice of him who called, and the house became filled with smoke. Um, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and amidst a people of unclean lips I dwell, for the king, the Lord of hosts, have my eyes seen. And one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal, with tongs he had taken it from upon the altar, and he caused it to touch my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity shall be removed, and your sin shall be atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? And I said, Hineni, Shlacheni, here I am, send me. There's a great messianic song or Christian song called uh, that, that's called Hineni, here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Indeed you hear, but you do not understand. Indeed you see, but you do not know. This people's heart is becoming fat, and his ears are becoming heavy, and his eyes are becoming sealed, lest he see with his eyes and hear with his ears, and his heart understand, and he repent and be healed. And I said, Until when, O Lord? And he said, Until cities be desolate without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the ground lies waste and desolate. And the Lord removes the people far away, and the deserted places be many in the midst of the land. And when there is yet a tenth of it, I, and that a tenth, and if you're interested, this is a new word I learned recently, asilia. Asilia is a tenth with ayin. And it will be purged like the terebinth and like the oak, which in the fall have but a trunk. The holy seed is its trunk. And it looks like matsevet is trunk or matseva. Matsevet um, and Zerah Kodesh is the holy seed. So that is left over. So since this is a pretty short Haftarah and I've pretty much exhausted um, my material for today, let's go ahead and take a look at the Rashi commentary. And that will be what I conclude with. So in the year of the death, so Rashi says about verse 1, that King Uziahu died uh, the same year. This was when he was smitten with Sara'at. And I believe that was for going into the temple and trying to offer incense. I don't have the reference on that here, but I believe you can find it in Second Kings. Uh, possibly First Kings. So, the Hebrew for lower extremity. Um, now this, he says, Rashi says, compare Exodus 28.34. On the hem, the shule of the rope meaning its lower extremity. So I saw the Lord sitting on a high and lifted, exalted throne, his lower extremity filled the temple. Well, what is the Lord's lower extremity? Rashi says, I saw him sitting on his throne in heaven with his feet in the temple, his footstool in the sanctuary to pass judgment on Uziah, who came to usurp the crown of the priesthood because he tried to offer incense. All right, Seraphim stood above in heaven and for him, meaning Seraphim, stood to serve the Lord, and so does Yonatan render from tar the Targum, I imagine, Targum Yonatan. Holy servants are on high before him. With two, 
he would cover his face so so as not to look toward the Shekhinah. So, let's see. Um, I guess the Lord did not... I don't know who the, he is exactly. I guess... Oh, the seraph, the angel itself, the burning angel, would cover its own face so it wouldn't look at the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is the presence of God. And with two, he would cover his feet for modesty, so as not to bear his entire body before his creator. Because the saraf is in front of, or the seraphim, all of them, plural, are in front of the Lord and the presence of God. So in Tanhuma, uh, I saw that the feet were covered because they are like the sole of the foot of a calf in order not to remind Israel of the sin of the golden calf. And with two wings, he would serve um, and fly. All right. And so one called to the other, verse 3, they would take permission from one another, Rashi says, so that one would not commit before his fellows and be guilty of a sin punishable by burning unless they all commit simultaneously. This is what was established in the blessing commencing. Who formed light? The declaration of holiness. They all respond as one. So this is from a, an agat, Midrash Agata of the account of the holy um, chariot, the Merkaba, and so did Yonatan render this. I don't completely understand what he's saying here. Uh, holy, 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 kadosh, 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 uh, three times. It says kadosh, kadosh, and Rashi doesn't say why. Uh, all right, the doorpost quaked, verse 4. Uh, these are the doorposts of the entrance, which are measured with the measurements of cubits in the height and in the width, and they are the doorposts of the temple. From the voice of him who called, uh, Rashi says, that's from the voice of the angels calling. This took place on the day of the earthquake, about which it is stated in Zechariah 14.5, and you shall flee as you fled on the day of the earthquake in the days of Uziah. Uziahu, on the day that Uziahu stood ready to burn incense in the temple, the heavens quaked, attempting to burn him, as if to say that this punishment should be by burning, as it is said in Numbers 16.35, and it consumed the 250 men. For this reason, scripture calls them seraphim, for they attempted to burn him. The earth quaked, attempting to swallow him up, thinking that his punishment should be that he be swallowed up like Korach, who contested the priesthood. So both men were trying to take on priestly duties. And lest they should be, so they should be swallowed up. And like his assembly, to be burnt. But as the Lord spoke by the hand of Moshe in the thorn bush, Exodus 4, 6, Now bring your hand into your bosom. And he took it out, stricken with tzara'at like snow. Here too the tzara'at shone on his forehead. So they're correlating all these stories as having similar... Uh, similar actions and similar consequences. And the house became filled with smoke, uh, the end of verse 4. Filled with smoke means even though the future tense is used, the past is meant. So, I think personally in Hebrew, when there's a past tense or a future tense used, and there's a vav, a reversing vav in front of it, it's, it's the Lord showing us that that is... Uh, history, but it's also prophetic. It's going to happen again in the future in some way, shape, or form. And I said, let's see, verse 5, for I am lost. Okay, so this is a direct quote from, 
Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. Rashi says, I will die, for I was not worthy of seeing the countenance of the Shekhinah. We find a similar statement made by Manoach in Judges 13.22. We surely will die, for we have seen God. Uh, I am lost. Uh, the entire people of Canaan is broken. Uh, Rashi compares Zephaniah or Zephaniah 1.11. And people of unclean lips, these are those who are defiled with sins. All right, so verse 6, a glowing coal. Rashi says that a glowing coal is called Ritzpah. Ritzpah. And similarly, 1 Kings 19.6, a cake baked on hot coals. In regards to Isaiah and Eliyahu, however, it is written with a zadi, zadi because they spoke ill of Israel. This one, Isaiah, excuse me, called from a people called them a people of unclean lips, and this one, Eliyahu, said, For they have forsaken your covenant. Said the Holy One, blessed be he, to the angel, Break the mouth, Rotsotspe, that spoke ill of my children. So, I guess it was like a punishment for speaking Lashon uh, Hara against Israel. Uh, let's see. And this, he had taken it from upon the altar, and Rashi says this was in the forecourt. The forecourt, which I don't... Oh, from the Ezra, Sheba Ezra. So there's a Ezra, meaning, um, it's not spelled, I don't believe, might be the Sheba, no, no, it's, I don't know if it's spelled the same way as um, the name Ezra, but there is a word for an area of the temple called the Ezrat HaKohanim, or Ezrat Kohanim, which is uh, the court of the priests. So this is spelled Ain Zain Resh He. And if you know anything about the temple or the temple geography, temple setup. All right, so uh, verse 7, he caused it to touch my mouth. This is to cause pain, to atone for your iniquity that you degraded Israel. And his strength was great, for the angel was afraid to take it without tongs. Yet he caused it to touch the prophet's lip, and he, the prophet, was not injured. This is found in Tanhuma. This is the meaning of what scripture states in Joel 2.11. For his camp is very great. These are the angels, and stronger than they are those who fulfill his word. These are the prophets. Yonatan renders, and in his hand was a glowing coal, to mean, and in his mouth was speech. The expression ritzpah means a thing refined in the mouth and with the tongue. Ratsuf uh, bape from upon the altar. Oh no, sorry. Thing refined in the mouth and with the tongue. Ratsuf bape. Period. New sentence. Quote from upon the altar means he received the speech from the mouth of the Holy One. Blessed is he from his throne in heaven, which was directed opposite the altar that was in the temple. So basically, it sounds like the Lord replaced Yeshayahu's speech with. God's speech, God's language, God's words. All right, uh, verse 8, whom shall I send to admonish Israel? Uh, Rashi says that the Lord sent Amos, and they called him Pesilus, because he was tongue-tied. Pesilus being the Greek word for tongue-tied. He prophesied two years before the earthquake, and the Israelites would say, The Holy One, blessed be he, left over the whole world, and caused his Shekhinah to rest on this tongue-tied one, as is stated in Pasikta. 
I'm not sure what Pasikta is, but if you want to look it up, it's spelled P-E-S-I-K-T-A. Sounds uh, possibly Aramaic or Greek. And he said, go and say to this people, indeed you hear, but you do not understand. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. So Rashi says about the phrase, indeed you hear. I say to you, indeed you hear, but you do not strive to understand. And indeed you see miracles that I have performed for you, yet you do not strive to know me. All right. Verse 10, getting to the end here. This people's heart is becoming fat. This structure, the word Hashemin or Hashman, resembles Exodus 8.11. He is making his heart heavy, an expression of a continuous action. Their heart continuously becomes fatter, and his ears are becoming heavier and heavier, harder and harder of hearing. Uh, let's see. His eyes are becoming sealed, plastered. Compare Isaiah 44.18. For their eyes are plastered from seeing hitoach. Uh, Leviticus 14.43 is translated into Aramaic as de'itsha. We thereby equate the two words tach and hasha. Uh, so, uh, basically, eyes becoming sealed I mean, must mean at least spiritually blind. Lest he see with his eyes, Rashi says, they intended not to hearken to the words of the prophets, for they feared his words would please them, and they will understand with their heart and return to me, and this will be their cure. Alright, so verse 11, Rashi says about the phrase, until when, and the question is, when will they make their heart heavy and not, or will they make their heart heavy and not listen, or will they possibly repent? And he said, Rashi says, I know that they will not repent until retribution comes upon them and they go into exile and the cities will be desolate without inhabitants. Um, and lies waste and desolate is an expression of solitude without an inhabitant. Pretty obvious. And last, uh, for, let's see, the phrase connecting with verse 12, the deserted places be many. Rashi says, for the land will be abandoned by them, and this is the explanation of the language. Deserted places will increase in the midst of the land. All right, last verse, 13. When there is a tenth, and when they are diminished to one out of ten, even upon this remnant will I return my hand as a purge after a purge, and it will be purged until only completely righteous men will remain, but will repent wholeheartedly. And then the terebinth and the oak, Rashi says, which at the time of their casting, when they cast off their leaves during the fall, one casting after another casting until nothing is left in it except the trunk, they too, the holy seed, Zerah Kodesh, found in its midst, adhering to their holiness, they will be to me as the trunk. Another explanation of Matsavta, Matsavta is its planting. Therefore, I will not destroy them, for I planted them as holy seed. Some explain that there was a Shalechet gate in Yerushalayim, as is stated in Ezra. See First Chronicles 26.16, which was, according to Jewish tradition, written by Ezra. And there, terebinths and oaks were planted. So you got to look for this stuff. If you want to really understand the depth of the scriptures and understand how to put the puzzle pieces together, you have to recognize um, certain things about one passage and be able to recall it and know 
that it's happening in another passage and that maybe there's a connection. And sometimes it's over, you know, decades or hundreds of years uh, that one incident happened, but it's connected to another. So we always like to close the broadcast uh, by inviting you to make Yeshua the Messiah of your life and the salvation of your soul. So I'll just read from one of my favorite verses about salvation, Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Yeshua is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So we bless you. We thank you for your time. And please send any feedback or any kind of questions, comments, or suggestions for new topics or ideas on the Haftarah of the week to footsteps of the Messiah at gmail.com. Be blessed and encouraged, friends. God bless you. And Shavua Tov and Shavua Mevorach. Shalom.